brought to you by Brass and Unity. We make wearable conversation starters. Our new buddy check packs are available now. Grab one and check on one of your closest buddies. They may need it now more than ever. Go to brassandunity.com, use the code UNITY and get 20% off. And let's all heal together. And brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat flip-flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. To help support the podcast and in support of women in developing countries, head over to combatflipflops.com and become a part of their unarmed forces today. Be sure to use the code UNITY at checkout and get 25% off. And brought to you by GFDA. Good fucking design advice. The voice in your head and the foot up your ass. GFDA makes prints, drinkware, and apparel for people who want to do their fucking best. Go and use the code UNITY and get 10% off now on anything on their site, including our collaborative product, Fucking Help Somebody. And brought to you by Daisy May Hat Co., the custom hat company based in Nashville, Tennessee. They make custom one-of-a-kind hats from wide-brimmed fedoras to cowboy hats. All of their hats are 100% beaver felt, and it's the highest quality hat you can get. They also have the coolest shirts ever. You can use the code BRASS at checkout for 15% off your entire order. Go and check out daisymayhats.com. Embrace the fever. Live the dream. And brought to you by Midday Squares. Have you ever tried a Midday Square? They are the first functional chocolate bar and they're making waves. They're vegan, gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, and non-GMO. They have 6 grams of protein, 4 grams of fiber, and omega-3s. Most importantly, they kill hunger, fuel your brain, boost your mood, and all from natural energy. They're everything a chocolate bar isn't and everything a protein bar wishes it was. Use the code Kelsey15 at checkout to get 15% off today. Speaking of she is awesome. I am so lucky to be sitting here with one of my favorite people on this entire planet and quite possibly in all of the like weird other like vibrations and other like if you believe we have alternate universes, she's one of my favorite people in all of those too. And that is because I get to sit across from Dr. Michelle Eisenman. Dr. Michelle Eisenman. Yes. My gosh. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Oh, okay. We're going to get right into it because you and I were friends, but you, we, we grew into being friends because you, you helped fix my brain. And it's like the thing I have to always love you for. And you don't just do it for me, but you do it for so many people and you do it alongside Doc G and you do it alongside Jay and you do it alongside the resiliency brain. Is it resiliency brain health or is it resiliency brain health? Okay. okay. I always say (laughs) resiliency brain center. Cause it's just, it's, I fucking struggle. It's fine. We know who I am. But my point is you do such amazing work there and that's how we met. So it's hard to not kind of start there and then I'm going to go deep into your life, but we can just briefly go over. I came to you. How many women at that point had you had run through the clinic through defenders of freedom? Not, not many, not many at all. Uh, I had seen some women with TBI, not veterans. Oh, so um, I was the first female veteran you've had. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know all this. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. This is, makes Which sense. Which is uh, very interesting because there's fundamental differences in TBI and male to female. So lots to unpack there. Yeah, there is. And I, I want to know your first impression of what you got 
to where I am now very, very briefly, because we're going to break down why all those changes happened. But I think it's really easy to talk about. You can't say names of other people you've treated. You go right ahead. Everyone knows you treated me. And so everybody wants to know, because I would like to learn about what you saw that was so different and had between male and female. Because honestly, a lot of people listen to Doc G's episode and were like, holy shit. What you do, what you guys do is magic. (laughs) It it certainly does appear like that sometimes, but it's a lot of thought process behind multiple different things that are going on. I think my first impression of you was, wow, there is a whole adrenal access, blood sugar dysregulation, cortisol issue going on, Um, (laughs) vestibular component. And I think right now, that seems to have been a lot more regulated. You came from someone that was definitely surviving to more thriving. Right. To more really having that flip of, I don't understand what's going on. I keep getting tossed around like a hot potato and these things are going on. And women, as we fluctuate monthly through what we all know we fluctuate with, um, that makes a big impact on how we handle brain hormones and cortisol in general um, to now you're just a person that really understands how to apply true brain health because a lot of people, which is interesting, we were talking about this today, you can look very fit on the outside, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're very healthy on the inside. And so I think that you, my first impression of you was there's a lot to unpack here on multiple levels of inflammation, metabolic to all the way now to you really know how to handle yourself. And we even spoke last week about how to continue adding layers to that. Mm -hmm. It's, it's interesting when you break down a person into pieces and you really can start almost almost compartmentalizing these pieces and going, this is what's wrong here. But what I love about what you guys do is you don't just isolate the issue. Like if somebody has a a knee injury, you, you go in, you have knee surgery, you fix the knee. But when you're dealing with something like the brain and the connection to all these different parts of the body, you guys really do a real deep dive onto the bot, like the mind body connection and to the, other side that a lot of people kind of miss because I don't know it that's a different type of dedication is the food intake the types of food and how that all ties together I don't see that with a lot of people they'll be treating the PTSD or they'll be treating the physical injury there isn't this like couple of things where we go they all tie together and they're all linked to this and we can be putting positive fuel in or negative fuel. But if we don't know any better and there's just behavioral traits, it's never really going to get better. But you guys are Mm -hmm. like the only people that it seems like are kind of coupling this and whether what's, what would you define what you do as like functional neurology? Like what would you? Okay. Yeah, definitely functional neurology, functional coming from the fact that we work based on 
what is the brain doing? How is it functioning? And how can we make it function better? Whereas I think traditional neurology looks at pathology all the time. Mm. And so they're very good uh, at looking at tumors, at looking at especially acute type strokes, um, seizure disorders, or anything of that nature. The issue with traumatic brain injury slash concussion, because just a quick caveat, concussions fall in the same range of traumatic brain injury. Um, The issue there is that it is a really function-based issue. And because like you just very eloquently put, the brain does control everything. If this isn't working right, other things aren't working right. So people segmentally understand how these things work together. Like people understand, you know, if someone has their hormones out of whack, they may get emotional. For some reason, that's easily understandable. But then you throw in brain function to that and people go, I I don't know where the connection is. And really it's understanding physiology. I really, I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't understand how some practitioners out there cannot make those simple connections and explain to patients. I think a lot of it has to do with ego or ignorance and not being able to sit down and explain to someone like that, what they've learned in school, you know, this connects to that in this way. And so there's, you know, we can educate people about it. We can educate so you can make better decisions about it and you can understand how it all functions together. So why do you think others besides ego don't go this route? Is there, is there the traditional idea that medication fixes all things? Is there the traditional thought process that kind of comes in more at play? Um, I really think it's lack of education in a certain point, because I know some people that And also critical thinking, thinking outside Mm. of the box, it's just not very commonplace. It's issue one to issue two. I am never anti anything. I'll be honest with you. If a person needs a life-saving medication, by golly, take the medication. If a person needs food, please take it. I am pro, please understand what you're doing, why you're doing it, and have a purpose and intention behind it. Mm-hmm. And don't just take something because someone's telling you to do it. And that applies to everything, a supplement, a medication, a, a therapy. But when it comes to people that do really tend to obscure this side of medicine, because it is a side of healthcare, I really do believe it's because they don't have the tools in their toolbox to say, hey, this doesn't fa- fall in my tools, but I know someone that can help and really pass the baton on and have that good uh, communication style of integrative medicine. Integrative medicine seems to be the way that science is progressing, which is a fascinating thing to see and kind of watch from afar, but also be a part of personally when using experimental things on myself to try to rehabilitate myself or look at medicine in a different, in a, from a different perspective, uh, plant-based medicine, you guys all know I'm very forthcoming about. And I told you when I was there, like, that's what I use for my, for my healing. And what we learned, which was really great 
to learn. And we also learned because of my husband, which you guys treated as well, was hormones played such a massive, 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 massive part in how the body can heal and why it's acting out a certain way and why it's feeling or crashing or doing X, Y, and Z. Can you talk to me a little bit about hormones, um, especially I'm going to ask you to lean towards for a little bit and then go more towards women. But if you could, the men, 86% of our listeners are men. And a lot of them I know come from a genre where they've had head injuries and they ask this to me often. Like what, when you're talking about hormones, what are you talking about? When you said you had your hormones checked and you were on supplements and doing these types of things, what does that look like? So if you could go into that, I would love it. Okay. So When you go to a doctor and you ask someone to check your hormones, male or female, they should test all of it. So if you're a male, they should test testosterone and estrogen. If you're a female, they should test testosterone and estrogen. Because the reality is there are some hormones that are more female version. There are some hormones that are more male version, but you produce both. And so What's really important and the really thing to understand is that some hormone production does begin in the brain. Again, goes back to function of the brain. If the brain is not functioning correctly and it is not able to produce hormones correctly, then there may be dysfunction on how you are producing testosterone, for example. And one of the biggest things we know that's coming out in research too is that Testosterone for men is very anti-inflammatory and neuroprotective for the brain. Estrogen for women is very neuroprotective. There is tons of research pointing to the fact that, especially a book called The XX Brain, that is pointing towards, hey, women that don't have good estrogen in their brain are tending to have neurological decline a lot faster. And so those are the things that we need to understand when it comes to hormones and getting them tested. Many people would not understand that connection as to why. And it's because there are structures in the brain that are specific to hormone production and also signaling. So the brain does signal with neurotransmitters to the thyroid, for example, most people understand the thyroid. Most people go, yeah, the thyroid, that butterfly thing that's in your neck. You know, if you have these symptoms, you're hyper. If you have these symptoms, you're hypo. I think as a society, we need to get there when in terms of brain health as well and really understand, oh, brain, brain produces hormones. Brain can really have an effect on cortisol and even sex hormones as well. So for those of you wondering, you know, how do I check my hormones? Ask your practitioner to run a panel on you and make sure they're testing all of a complete hormone panel, not just one or two values. Testosterone seems to take a hit with individuals who have had a head injury. Yes. Is that just because of the receptors and where it gets hit or is it concussion based? Like, does it matter where it hits on the head? Um, You know, that's not super well understood. I do know that once you get a traumatic brain injury, the blood brain barrier gets compromised and there is an inflammatory cascade that happens. And so things like blood sugar dysregulation happen, things like 
hormone production gets out of whack. And so things that are not normal start becoming very prominent for me, for females and males. It just so happens that they usually flip. And so females were, will tend to get more of a diagnosis of PCOS because it's usually excess uh, testosterone and males start getting very emotional because they start producing a lot more estrogen. So there are certain enzymes and certain things that we should be taking to be able to produce their correct amount of hormones. And sometimes it's metabolic. Sometimes we need to do a metabolic intervention to get that settled. Sometimes it really is working on your brain, getting it to function better so it can naturally start producing what you need to produce better. I think one of the best examples for that is melatonin. So a lot of people don't think about melatonin as a hormone, but it is a hormone. And once you start working on your circadian rhythm and really, you know, sleep hygiene, not looking at your phone before bed, not exposing yourself to so much blue light, really doing that routine of darkening it up so your brain knows how to produce it. It naturally starts producing melatonin. People can start trying to go to bed a little earlier. And that's the same uh, perspective to think about when it comes to sex hormones like testosterone and estrogen too. The... Um... That's something that I notice a lot. I've had conversations with friends. They do other types of therapies like red light therapy and things like that. Um, can you explain how that works a little bit for those people? Yeah. yeah. So red light therapy has a lot to do with mitochondrial function. And so mitochondria, if you remember from like seventh grade middle school classes, it's the powerhouse of the sale. And so... <laughs> Because everyone says that. God, that's so it is the powerhouse of the cell. And so if you have the, the idea behind light therapy is that it feeds the mitochondria. So if you have good mitochondria, you have good nerve cells, uh, uh, brain cells. So if you have good mitochondria anywhere, since it's the powerhouse of the cell, those cells in that area should be generating better function. Mm -hmm. And so... That could be another non-invasive therapeutic tool that helps with some of that, that I don't see any problem with. Yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot of the military members I know that use it, they, they use it for testosterone as like, and they put it right on the junk and then yep. they send you weird photos and go, I'm sitting in the red. And you're like, what are you doing with your life? You're and lovely. Yeah. You got to learn. You got to learn about the red light therapy. I like having <laughs> these conversations because I like when friends are like, Hey, I'm trying this. Hey, I'm trying this because most of the time, if it's, if it's somebody at least around me, I know they have had some type of injury and there's a reason they're doing it. And so it's always educational to kind of come up or talk about these other ideas that aren't as of invasive, that could be potentially helpful that others might have access to, that they don't need to see a doctor or have health insurance for, right? Like there's, there's plenty of ways because like it or not, getting into a program with you guys is hard to do. Mm -hmm. because the VA and the way the whole system works and the way that you guys look at your neurology programs are completely different than what the VA would traditionally go for dealing with something like PTS or, or even TBI that you do talk therapy, you do EMDR, you do medication, like your program is much more advanced, it feels. And so 
there's a reason I bring it up because I want to talk about a little bit about Defenders of Freedom and kind of what that's been like for you working alongside them and having such an involvement with them. Oh man, I love Defenders of Freedom. Um, so my grandfather was a veteran. And so he, uh, I kind of grew up hearing some twisted stories about it. We're just sitting, sitting in the balcony, drinking coffee because who else would give an eight year old coffee uh, and talk about- Only a Puerto Rican, that too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then talk about that stuff. So I, I didn't realize how much of an influence, you know, his character had on me growing up. And so Defenders of Freedom really makes me feel at home and working with veterans really makes me feel at home because it makes me feel like I'm with him. And so um, that's been a great experience. But the biggest thing I've noticed is, you know, just so many people that need help that have been tossed around like a potato that are not getting clear and concrete answers. I mean, we've seen everything from extremely severe to why didn't they just take an x-ray to look at this? Mm -hmm. I don't understand why that's so complicated. And so I think the reason why some people feel, um, the majority of the reason why they feel like we have a lot to offer is because we look at you as an individual and we go, where are you blood wise? Where are you physically wise? And can you mentally you know, can you take this? And then we try to work with you where you're at, not where we believe you should be at, mm. where you're at, because you are here for therapy, not, not the not other way like around. I, yeah, not the other way around. It's not like I selected you to do this and cookie cutter the whole process. And, and you know very well that that process changes every day, depending on how your brain and your body responds. And so I've loved working with Defenders of Freedom because it's really given me such a wide array of different types of injuries and people and just a really good quality type people too. Like people, these are patients that want to get better. And man, there's a difference when you have a patient that wants to get better. Yeah, they're motivated and it gives you like, like the effort you're putting in isn't falling on deaf ears. It's not like you're, you know, you're working at a, a weight loss clinic and it's just not happening for people. And you're just like, put the donut down. Like it's, there's, there's stuff here, man. Like these people, they're hurting and they really genuinely want help. And when you start getting kind of greenlit by all these other vets, I don't know if you know that process and how that works. Yeah. You should with the, t the caliber of people you have running through there, you know, yeah. when that happens and you guys have success stories and you have involvement and continued involvement with people's lives post treatment, which I think is one of the biggest things, because especially for my husband and I, with the super awesome free healthcare we have, we don't get like what we need all the time up here. And when we're able to communicate and have dialogue outside of the time we were there and you're receptive to it, things like that are what make the difference in people's, you know, feeling how they feel and to the depths that they feel about you. It's a really, it's a special thing to watch kind of grow and hear from others because it's never negative. 
It's never, yeah. ever negative. Yeah, I think that um, this may sound super cliche, but we just we just care. Yeah, I know. That really comes down to it. It's and this is sounds odd to say, but it even for us finding people to work with to to continue to help, it's hard. It's hard to find people that care and would I not know. be you know, selfish with that. And, you know, I consider myself very lucky to be able to work with Jay and Dr. Goodday because um, they're very good role models in that too on, you know, service oriented. That's really the, the highest mission there. And so hope that it always continues to be like that. I, I foresee it only getting bigger. I think what we're realizing now with our post 9-11 veterans is the and and our and our pre 911 the uh, behavior the issues the stuff we've always looked at as a PTSD issue um we're really realizing how much of this is a you know the brain it's head injuries it's blast exposure it's continuous blast exposure for you know 20 25 year vets of of multiple like repetition deployments doing the same position. I mean, my God, I don't know how we weren't acknowledging it before from like a medical standpoint, but when you, you think when you stand somebody beside something that goes, boom, there's going to be a recoil. And the fact that we're just catching on to that now, it makes me wonder if we could have saved so many more lives, understanding the brain, if we knew. Oh yeah. 100%. 100%. I think that um, a lot of that has to do with the fact that it wasn't until pretty darn recently that they actually started accepting because it's been in research. It's been around since about the 1800s, the fact mm -hmm. that the brain's able to adapt and change. So that's not new, but through the community, uh, the healthcare community, it's been just a few couple of years uh, that it's finally getting accepted. The fact that, yes, you can adapt your brain. Not everything has a neurodegenerative model. You can pivot and get into that side of prevention. For some people, it's just so hard to get into that because if it ain't, if they have this thing of, if it ain't if broke, don't, broke fix don't fix it. it. And, you know, that doesn't mean you can't care for it and prevent some of the stuff to happen. I mean, brain deterioration is no joke. I mean, once you lose something, once you lose brain cells, they don't come back. You can't grow them like a plant. So please take care of your brain and what you have because and, and, and enhance it as much as you can so that you can have a life of longevity and quality of life. At the end of the day, the body seems to break down more than the the brain for most people. It's it, you know, unless you get a diagnosis of Alzheimer's or dementia. But I know there's something to inflammation and these and these diseases anyway. There's a lot to inflammation. I'd love if you could kind of go into the the importance, the level of importance of inflammation in the body and how it affects the brain. My God. I, I didn't realize how different somebody can feel with lower inflammation. Yeah. Inflammation is absolutely huge. And I think that we need to 
kind of talk about the fact that inflammation is another word for having an immune system response. And so if you have are having an immune system response, that's not great because your brain cannot function properly. You could have bouts of autoimmunity depending on how consistently inflamed you are, which means that there is neural tissue that can specifically be deteriorating and it, it just makes it difficult. There's only so much stimulation that a neuron can support until it just falls flat. And I think the biggest issue with inflammation is really back to that mitochondria. If mm. your mitochondria are consistently getting attacked, that is where energy and production and life really happens in a cell. And so if you don't have that, you really start seeing a swift decline. And I know that you know what it feels like to be inflamed because you you wanting to talk and it's like a word salad, like different little functions that you do. You're maybe not as great with balance. You're maybe not as great as, you know, with being able to carry out a conversation or being able to digest your food or anything like that. But these are so subclinical things that people don't think about it because it's like, oh, well, it's just, it's just a day. It's just a, a thing until it just keeps piling up and piling up and piling up. And before you know it, you had Wendy's. And then before you know it, then you did this one other thing that piles up inflammation. And then before you know it, and it just, the people that real scare me like a lot more than just concussion patients that are actually doing something about it are the people that have never had a brain injury that they don't really look at their brain health. Cause those are the people that deteriorate. And then they're like, when did this happen? Mm. It's like you've been doing it. You know, there is research that says that neurodegeneration starts about in your twenties or thirties. That's so early. Yeah. And so that's why I'm, I'm very big on, you know, conserve the brain cells you have and do things to make them better. I mean, that makes sense. It's ideal. Yeah. It's ideal. But you wouldn't think, not a lot of people, they're like, yeah, uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever. This is my life now. This is how I live. But so what are things, what are some things that people can do for inflammation that can really make a direct effect, maybe a noticeable change in their lives? Okay. So I'm going to start with a few lifestyle factors because these are super underrated that mm -hmm. people do not think about. <laughs> Drink water. Drink water. <laughs> drink all of it and drink it with an American Yogi sticker on your water bottle. <laughs> yes. Do, do that. Um, have bowel movements. Please. Yeah. If you are not having consistently healthy bowel movements, that's something that needs to get checked and you should want to care about that. A healthy, somewhat of a healthy bowel movement is at least once a day. Get sun exposure go out to the sun. It's very rehabilitative, lower stress. Those are some lifestyle things. Eat anti-inflammatory. By that, I mean, avoid processed foods, avoid food coloring. Stop thinking so hard about what's good and what's bad for you. And then finite nitty gritty, you can get that finite with a nutritionist. But at the end of the day, if you believe 
that a chicken salad that you made at home is probably better than what you were going to eat at McDonald's. Yes, you are correct. So those are are some of those. Yeah. So then you can kind of stair step up to anti-inflammatory on, you know, certain supplements. So definitely talk to a practitioner about it, but glutathione is extremely anti-inflammatory. Yeah. Jinko is very good. Um, Flavonoids are very good antioxidants, anti-inflammatories. And so anything that really does promote that and then going a little further than doing things like NAD is, oh. yes, is very anti-inflammatory. Can we, can we talk about NAD IVs for a second? Ugh. What? I just, they what suck. They're they not, do. they suck. Like, let's talk about it. Let's talk. Okay. Explain what an NAD IV is, please. So NAD plus is a B vitamin derivative and it is a major detoxifier. So everything works in the body with polarity. So the plus is very important. A lot of people know NADH. NAD plus is very different than NADH because it doesn't have a hydrogen atom attached to it. So because of that, it's usually very used in almost every reaction in the body. It can really help detoxify the body. B vitamins are great for energy or detoxification, one of the two. Mm-hmm. One of the experiences that we've had is, and by the way, you can take this many different ways. It can be IV, it can be sub-Q, it can be intranasal, it can be uh, I do intranasal. I do intranasal after doing the IV. I yeah. don't like the IV. It's, uh, yeah, so the thing that we have experienced the most is that depending on your level of inflammation, like high sensitivity CRP, ferritin levels, hemoglobin A1C, those are just to name a few um, lab markers that you should be aware of. Um, Not conclusive, but that is got to be specific here. You're so cute. Um, So the energy just goes where you have inflammation. And so for me, it, it goes a lot to my chest uh, my stomach and my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what does that feel does like when you're getting where it goes for me, it goes directly to my head and my stomach immediately and at a rocket pace Yeah, and it hurts and you go in these little waves. So they give it to you and they're like, listen, this is going to be how, like four hours or less if you Torture. can handle it. If you can handle, if you can handle less, we'll turn it up and we shall go from there. So Brady and I did one and I was lying on the couch and he goes, I also have this medication that you can have. And this medication is for cancer patients. It's quite strong. And we said, nah, we'll do it without it. So we lied there on the couch and watched TV and then it hit. Yeah. My stomach started turning immediately and then all of a sudden my head felt like it was being hit with a sledgehammer and then it went two three four five six and then it went away and it winged down and then 30 seconds later it went and it stayed there and stayed there and and it did that for four hours so i said fuck this and i immediately went to sleep yeah 
um, no, I, I didn't have time for that. So I was like, let's do it in an hour. Just go. No, that's disgusting. I know. I think Rogan's just like done it. Like, I'm like, that is so intense to me. I can't imagine doing it in an hour time frame. No. Yeah. We didn't have time. So we're like, we, we need it. We need it quick. <laughs> I'm not that type of person. You're a better person than me. You're a stronger person than me. I'm weak then. Cause that just seems like a nightmare waiting to have, like, I'd feel so sick. Oh, we're going to scare people away from it, but it is. No, it's necessary. I've actually seen someone do a 600 NAD and, and just sit and talk and and eat a, a bar. I know. And I don't understand it. Like, I think I've seen, I know Jax, she was doing NAD when she was there. So she was just up walking around with her pole being like doing an NAD IV. And I'm going, of course you are Jax. You're stronger than me. And we all know it. Thank you. Well, it does one or two things. It either gives you a lot of energy or it helps you detox. And so, mm. You know, wherever you are on that spectrum, the fun, the good thing about NAD is once it's done, it is done and yes. you feel that very last drop hit and you're done and you're like, ah, I'm good now. It's weird, but it's amazing and incredibly yeah. useful. And I think, I think everybody should do it because it's not a harm. It won't hurt you. I think it's worth trying at least to see if you're, you know, coming into any of these issues where you're feeling sluggish you're feeling like you have tbi type hey you have you checked in with yourself today how are you doing how are you feeling have you had enough water this is your midday check-in brought to you by midday squares big breath in (sighs) i'm back at it ailments which is where i'm gonna go next like that segue want to talk about some lovely things that show up and they're really a TBI and you're just like, nah, I just have headaches a lot constantly all the time. Yeah. They never go away. It's perfectly normal. That's what humans should feel. Right. Yeah. 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 So that's a, that's a fun one. Cause people can present, oh my gosh. Oh, so differently. I think that the classic presentation of these people is like I said earlier, they just kind of chalk it up to like, oh, that's weird. And they keep stumbling through life. Uh, uh that's weird too, but eh, just keep going. But yeah, headaches, no one should be able, no one should be having a headache consistently for any reason. Like a low grade hum. Yeah. You should, You if that's happening and you're not getting any, any help right now from anyone, please look into that because that no one should have a consistent headache for any reason. Um, different things that are kind of odd is if you, at the end of the day, if you find yourself being a little bit more irritable than usual, that's a problem. You know, not being able to hold a conversation with someone without getting irritable, that's a problem. Um, Consistently forgetting things to the point that you are, you know, having to do little sticky notes all the time um, to remind yourself things that may be a problem. And so most of these things, this is a comedy bit, right? You know that you're understanding that, right? Yes. That's the comedy. Yeah. If you experience any of these symptoms, that might be a problem. Yeah. Like all yes. everything, like all life issues here. My biggest, uh, my favorite one is, 
getting in the car. It's like, oh yeah, no, I get really dizzy when I get in the car, but I'm fine when I sit up front and when I'm driving. That's not normal either. No. So, yes, that's not no. normal either. So that means that there are definitely dysfunction in some areas. Um, lack of appetite is a big one mm. that people don't realize. And so I, I, that's a good one. Oh, I intermittent fast every morning. And right. you're like, per choice? It's like, I just don't. I'm just not. <laughs> per hungry. choice? I can't relate to it. But, no, so I, I mean, that that's a hard well. one that, yeah, that, that one's a hard one. I know that that is a way like I, I try not to intermittent fast anymore, but there's days when it happens. Um, but I remember when I was at the clinic, you were like fats, all the fats immediately in the morning, put it to your brain. I need you to eat all of it. And I was like, oh. Yeah. And at that time, that was a little different because you were undergoing therapy. So Correct. I needed all the brain power. But, you know, and fasting can be great for some people and not great for others. But if you are finding yourself fasting because you just don't have an appetite any single morning, that's a problem. Yeah, that's an issue. There's yeah. your sign. That makes sense. Yeah. There's a sign. There's always a sign. What are some other things that would be more, um, less noticeable, but if someone were to sit there and kind of scan their body and go, Oh shit, that's me. Um, heaviness in the arms and legs. Interesting. Want to explain that? Yeah. Um, it tends to be thought of as a supplementary motor, like another area of the frontal lobe brain. Um, but sometimes a lot of people experience kind of just like heaviness in their arms and legs. And they're like, this is a little weird. Um, another one is consistent repetitive thoughts. So not being able to get a song out of your head, not being able to stop replaying a scenario or a conversation in your head over and over that's called perseveration. That's not something that should be happening. And I think a lot of people portray themselves to be just overanalyzers and overthinkers. And yeah, that could in a way be a personality trait. But if you can logically think, hey, I perseverate, arms and legs are heavy. I get irritable if I miss a meal. I often don't have an appetite. And if you start stacking some of these weird things together, then you should maybe look into that. I think the best thing we do at the clinic to kind of answer those questions, because we have everything. We have people from, I know for a fact I got a brain injury. Here I go. All the way to, I have no idea if I had a brain injury. What do I do? So we have these assessment forms that you filled out when you came in. And those are great because they're detailed per area of the brain and location. And some of those more nuanced things that you can fill out. Mm -hmm. And some of that can be really eye-opening for people. And they're like, wow, I never knew that this could be associated with that. Yeah, I didn't know I couldn't read. It's fine. Yes. Reading is a very big one as well. So fatigue, mm -hmm. um, noticing that your eyes are kind of jumping around a lot. Um, penmanship is a big one. Penmanship. Yes. So how you write. Hmm? 
makes a big difference. Explain. This is this is news. I want to understand. Um, some people that tend to have more like a basal ganglia type issue tend to have really small handwriting. Um, okay. He's <laughs> starting to look at your. I don't even yeah. know if I can see it through here. Interesting. Okay, continue. People that um, can tend to have a difficulty with fine motor movement maybe sometimes start writing really big. Really? Or they start writing in a skewed pattern if they have a head tilt that they can't fix. And so it kind of, if they didn't have the lines, the line would go all the way up or kind of translate all the way down. So sometimes when people fill out information, I actually do look at their writing to kind of see if it matches up with the rest of their questionnaire. That is the funniest. Are you surprised? Yeah, I already knew that about you. <laughs> we already knew this about you. So. <gasps> oh my god. I am howling right now. You don't even understand. Are you surprised? We looked at everything. I know, but like, I didn't notice it. Like, you can even see though. If I'm on the lines, it's still angle upward. Yeah. So it's trying to go. But my brain is like, no, it's taking the lines. That is absolutely hilarious. I didn't know that. This is news to me. Can you tell? Yeah. It's one of the things that can be pretty diagnostic if you if you look at it and if it matches, right? Like, it's not like everyone that writes, you're going to be like, oh, they wrote little, they have a basal ganglia issue. But it, <laughs> they wrote they little. Yeah. So if it happens to match up with the rest of their findings, some of their goals, their testing, then, then yeah, that could be an added observation. You're How not surprised. We- this. I'm just, no, I didn't realize I did it. Like, I didn't know that was a, I didn't know that was a thing. That if I'm you here to look blow at your mind, you just blew my mind. <laughs> and you're here to blow my, success, mission success. You blew my mind. Because even when I look at the lines, even though I'm writing and my hand's straight, my, the letters go upward, which is wild to me. Yeah, I was. I I feel way more comfortable when I like. Oh my god, that's so that's amazing. Sorry, I'm very excited to learn new things about myself. God, you write, know so much about me. Write a different pair. Write a paragraph in the morning. Have a heavy day and hectic day. Then write it again at night, and see how it looks like and the difference. When you're more fatigued, we start showing our deficiencies a lot more. You get soft when you get fatigued. Oh, I love it. That's so cool. Okay, tell me more. Oh, I don't know. You're going to have to ask me a question. Okay, let me see. What else um what else is noticeable from a physiological standpoint? So for me, I came in and was like, "Hey guys, I think I had a mini stroke on the weekend." And you were like, "Say that again." And I was like, my whole left side of my face when I was in the truck during the four by four by 48 for Warrior Angels Foundation decided to just fuck off and just say bye. Turned off that day. What happened to my face? 
And what are we talking well, about? Yes. So the brainstem holds a lot of different nerves that have a lot of different functions. Some of them relating to feeling of the face, some of them to movement of the face, a lot of them relating to eye movement as well. And so some of the things that people tend to misinterpret when, when it comes to strokes actually is if cranial nerve seven, which is, uh, you know, Justin Bieber has issues with that right now. So you, you just, you threw shade at Biebs. He does. He, he was super open about it. I was like, great. Is that from the vaccine? I mean, not yeah. for him, but it's for totally from it. the vaccine. That's that's got to be. I, I mean, that's allegedly from the vaccine, right? I have no idea, but I was really happy to see him post it on Instagram because most it's like more Bell's about it. Is it Bell's palsy? Is that what he said? No, Bell's no. palsy is a more cranial nerve five. This one has to do a lot more with cranial nerve seven. That. Okay. Um, has to do with motor movement. And so something that you see often, I mean, you had just done a really extensive race. You, you kind of were going a hundred miles an hour fatigue sets in, like I said earlier, neurons only brain cells only have so much they can give when it comes to energy. And if their mitochondria actually has the energy to energy to provide it. So when that happens, your, our deficiencies start showing. And so one of the things that was happening a lot to you is that, that there was asymmetrical, not symmetrical firing of those nerves on both sides of your brainstem. And so one side of your cranial nerve seven was very fatigued. And so it appeared like your face was a little bit more flaccid. And so, yeah, my face dropped off. I had a, I had a sloppy left side. It's fine. So you're naturally, your first thought is, I think I had a stroke because it has a very similar appearance to what you would think uh, someone has a stroke is, but you don't have any other, uh, any of the other signs or symptoms associated with it. Totally ran through the protocol though, because I was by myself and I was like, well, this could go bad real quick. It's like, all yes. I kept knowing is I knew, I knew a girl who she was younger. When, well, not younger. She was in college when it happened. She um, she's a, she is, one of my friends, one of my friends, uh, stepsisters or something like that. She was in college. She was in the UK and she, she had a stroke, at in her like twenties. And I think wasn't found till like 24 hours later. And like timing is of the essence when it comes to things yeah. like that. And it's a much harder to recover. Um, you're lucky if you recover. And so when that started happening, I was like, hello, which is exactly <laughs> supposed to do so if you're listening to this and your face starts drooping all of a sudden please run through that protocol because that's number one thing that you have to clear out but just because we knew you just because we knew what you had going on just because we had extensive information about you we knew it was that was not the case for you yeah but that's right. that is one of those things that can happen and for some people to understand why why there's such an issue with the brain stem and not just the brain. Cause I think a lot of people think of the brain as like the classic picture of like the different areas and what they do and all that stuff is because when you get a head injury, there's something called a shearing effect. And so those neurons really get sheared. Um, it can be a translational or rotational issue. And so 
those neurons don't are not functioning as appropriately as they should be. So there's a lot of debate on, you know, whether what happens to the brain and stuff, but there is a lot of evidence on that sharing of neurons that happens in that area, which is why there's a lot of dysfunction there and why you were presenting with some cranial nerve issues. And most TBI people have cranial nerve issues. It's a, it's such a fascinating, it's such, I love talking about the little things that people don't realize are a part of, you know, a part of their daily lives or things that they just live with. But there's gotta be a reason that you decided you wanted to work in this profession. Cause this yeah. isn't like when I grow up, I want to be a functional neurologist <laughs> as a child. Yeah. Like not I, how sense. I do have a funny joke about that. We talked about it today. I actually wanted to be a Marine biologist at some point, which is hilarious. Yeah. And my, I keep in mind, I lived in Puerto Rico when I, I was young. So I was like the time that, you know, my mom and dad know everything and they're right about everything in the world. Right. And so I asked him, I told my mom, yeah, I wanted to be a marine biologist. And she said, no, because I'd have to move to Australia. And I was like, I guess that's right. So smart, smart for her to but realize. But you lived in Puerto Rico. Exactly. Smart for her to kind of guide me to a different profession. But I was too young. So I was like, yeah, I guess I have to move too far away. So I guess that's not happening. But oh my um, God. how did I go from marine animals to yeah. humans? Um. My mom has a really extensive medical history. My family has a very extensive medical history. So my grandfather, uh, veteran, had a lot of TBIs um, that he very miraculously self-managed extremely well. Most disciplined, calm human being I've ever met in my life. Um, my my mom and two of my aunts have a peripheral neuropathy uh, called Chocomery Tooth because every doctor has to name everything about themselves. So obviously those are three people. Yes, obviously. Uh, obviously. E egos. Yes. And so um, they have that peripheral genetic neuropathy going on. And my mom specifically has had cancer multiple times. So she had cancer at seven years old, again in her 20s, again in her early 50s, and now again for a fourth time we're dealing with breast cancer right now. And so um, I really growing up saw how there was such a lack of communication because I said the buzzword integrative medicine, but really let's just say what it is. It's just practitioners talking to each other and collaborating. Something we should have done a really long time ago, but we're not doing very well and effectively. Um, I saw how people just didn't talk to each other. And I saw, you know, who, who receives that consequence? The patient, not the practitioner, the patient. And so because of that, she's gone through extensive testing that sometimes may not have been medically necessary. And because of that too, they didn't necessarily care about how are you eating? How is your life? Like, how would you tell me your life is survival at what cost like are you enjoying your life are you doing well not so much um and so that's what first got me into healthcare in general um and then 
I found I was I was in sports, but that came later. My realization of that came later on. Um, then I found functional neurology. And so as I was wanting to go in, I was always taking the MCAT and wanting to go into medical school. I found a functional neurology. And at the time, the only people that were doing it to the extent that I wanted to do it were chiropractors. So I decided to go into chiropractic school to specifically pursue uh, functional neurology because I saw how some people were enhancing quality of life through non-invasive procedures. And I thought that was amazing because I didn't know that was possible. I always wanted that for my family. I didn't know that it was possible. So I went through, then I started realizing that I had issues myself. Um, I, you know, things that I had a friend that was in functional neurology sit down and do actual testing with me. I had a video nystagmography and balance testing and the whole hoopla and shebang. And he was like, you know, what has happened to you? And I was like, well, I got kicked on my forehead. It just happened once. I didn't lose consciousness. I was fine. Super fine. Yeah. I was a cheerleader. I, you know, I got kicked and punched a few times. Maybe I lost consciousness once. I did fall on black ice once, but it wasn't that big of a deal. And that's what most people do. They're like, well, it wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, because there's the word trauma associated to traumatic brain injury. And so if you don't perceive it to be traumatic, then it's not traumatic. So how could you have that? And so, and I didn't play football. So I'm like, cheerleaders don't get concussions. Football players do. So yeah, totally. Yeah. It's like, and I wasn't like laying on the floor unconscious. I just fell on my head doing tumbling and my neck cracked and it was really sore for a few days, but that's about it. And so I know things that Who as a time teaches people this. Well, at a, at a certain point um, that I, I had a lot of stuff going on. I got diagnosed with PCOS. I got, a lot of crazy diagnoses down the road, a lot of getting tossed around from doctor to doctor. You know, this guy, I swear, tried to poison me by giving me a six-month, oh my gosh, six-month prescription of antibiotic without no end in sight because I had a consistent infection that wouldn't get away. Um, and So kill your immunity for six months? Basically. Um, and so it wasn't until I started realizing like, I need to be my own advocate, just like Mm -hmm. I'm trying to be an advocate for my mom. I need to be an advocate for myself. And, and really that's how I got to where I am now. It's just a whole slew of family and personal health issues. The advocate side, how, how much do you owe people getting better? Like, how much do you, like, when somebody advocates for themselves, do you find often those people tend to get better and stay better because they're already knowledgeable about it? And so they, they've gotten to this point where they've gone through, exhausted all the options. They've gotten to this point. They said, like, I just need someone to help me. Like, and they are the ones that are advocating. Do you find those people have a better success rate? Yeah, I do. Because, um, those are people that just get it. They understand mm. that health is their responsibility. 
like your health, like, you know, we all talk about happiness, like it's your responsibility to be happy. Health is the same way. Like these are people that understand that it's their own responsibility to be healthy. And they understand that there are some people out there that do dedicate themselves to helping people, but, but they're not necessarily, I mean, doctors are humans. Like they go home, they mess up, they make mistakes, they have fights and issues with family members Mm -hmm. and spouses and stuff too. So they understand that it's not this kind of superhuman nature. And I think that people that advocate for themselves are not willing to say that I'm done yet. Mm. Yeah. And just accept whatever is being told to them. Yeah. Cause you, cause at, at one point or another, a lot of people are not willing to say, I don't know. Let me help you find someone that can help you. Yeah. With that, too many people are willing to say, well, I'm not going to say I don't know. I'm just going to tell you that's it. There's, you should be better by now. That's it. Right. And, and that's what like, happens. Okay. Yeah. And especially mm-hmm. with veterans, you're dealing with claims and you're dealing with issues, right? That they want you to get better. They want you to get better, but they don't give you the tools to get better. So from a tools prevention standpoint, a handful of things that you can do to work on your brain health, to pay attention, like what can someone do on like a daily, weekly basis that is going to show improvement in their brain? So I'm going to talk about the foundation of what makes a healthy brain cell, because that's exactly there, there are some things that are not, not a right or wrong. It's just about how it works for you. But healthy brain cells get the following. Proper fuel. If you got proper fuel, that's going to be a good brain cell. That means nutrition. Oxygenation. You know, some people need to hear this. They have really crappy SVO2s, <laughs> you know, if you're not breathing at the bare minimum at a 98% SpO2, you need to start working on the fact that you need oxygenation. Maybe hyperbaric oxygen therapy is something for you. Maybe uh, quitting smoking is something for you. Maybe, I know that probably hurts some people. but it hurts so I'll, many, I guarantee it. Yeah, I know. So wild. We can put down a chicken nugget, but we can't put that down. So And it doesn't necessarily mean forever, but being honest with that. No, uh, go for it. Yeah. Um, Toxicities, excitotoxicities. So staying away from plastics, staying away from hydrogenated oils, like drop the canola oil. Do not eat with canola oil. Um, Use avocado oil, olive oil, coconut oil to eat. Like those are very good for uh, dampening free radicals and excitotoxicity. And lastly, stimulation. Those four pillars are the things that your brain needs to thrive. Now, you're not going to be perfect at it every single day. But if you consistently work on it and consistently work on learning step by step how to give yourself proper fuel oxygenation and stop toxicities and stimulation you're going to have a lot healthier of a brain than you think. And it goes a long way. I mean, people don't realize how just working on that can make their longevity 
and make their day just so much better. Well, that's why I ask because there's got to be like, there's got to be simple steps that people can take on a daily basis that don't require much change, but can be massively impactful on a long-term basis and hopefully improve the quality of life. Yeah. Here's my, here's what I do. And people would think like, that's, that must not have an impact on the brain. That's too simple. So here's what I do on a day off. I wake up, I go outside, I look at the sun, I get sunlight on me. I make a proper breakfast if I can. I go ahead and eat my breakfast, sitting Mm -hmm. down, not multitasking, giving my body a chance to actually digest the food that I'm eating. I meditate or I actually practice breathing. So many people don't underestimate how difficult it is to breathe after a head injury. It's just not normal. It's not an automatic process. So taking a deep breath in and blowing it out can actually make your brain receive better brain cell, uh, better oxygenation for brain cells. And lastly, I go work out. Whatever that is to me, maybe I do yoga that day, maybe I do weight training or something. Just those four things are a great foundation that people take for granted. But I think a lot of people that may be listening, not everyone applies to this. And I know for a fact you don't apply to this, you know, sit there and they're like, ow, I have a problem. Ow, I have a problem. Well, do something about it ow, I have a problem. And so, you know, if you actually start somewhere, you can't mm-hmm. fail. You just got to start. You can't fail when you're doing it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's such a huge takeaway. People don't want to start most of the time when you start that, that leaves you open to the feelings of failure and then, and, you know, and accountability and all, all of the, the emotions that go along with it. But the key to healing, especially with the brain injury is small steps, start, just start, start changing one thing, change the next thing and just work your way up because it's only going to benefit you long-term and they don't have to be, you know, they don't have to be significant changes, like at a rapid pace, do it where it's digestible. It's same with losing weights. The way you do it is how it's going to determine your success rate at the end of it. Same with brain health. You know, that's what I loved about you guys coming down there is like, they, you guys you explain all this pieces of information. Every time you did something to me, you explained to me why you were doing to it and what the desired effect was for it. And then tools to take with me so that I could keep implementing those in my life. That's what's really unique is you didn't just look at it and go, this is what we're going to change. You kind of hit it with a sledgehammer and then gave me consistent tools to continue that change when I wasn't there. Um, it's all progression. And then you up it as you go long-term. So there's steps to these things. You don't have to, you know, all or nothing. It's starting small is going to make the biggest change. But the fact of the matter is you have to start if you want to feel better. Yeah. Yeah. That's really huge because a lot of people don't realize that just, just doing that little bit, you're going to look back in a, in a year or so and realize how much you've grown from that. But mm-hmm. we, we want it so fast and we want it so now that we don't do it at all. Uh, yes. Cause if you can't get it done quick enough, there's just no point. God, people yeah. suck sometimes, man. 
What is it? Slowest, smooth, smoothest, fast. Uh huh. Yeah, that's it's, and everybody, most of the people listening to this, you know what that means. It's it's just the way we do things. You can do it quick, and you can do it fast and wrong, or you can just slow it down, take your time, and do it correctly, and have a positive end result. That's why I like the way you explained all of this. It's incredibly digestible. It gives accountability, but it gives options. It's not bitching and whining. It's problems, but they're solutions. Um, And what I love about the solutions that are offered through you guys is you're not pushing a pharmaceutical agenda that attaches yourself to, this is how you get better as long as you take this. It's, you know, these are ways you can get better with yourself and we can give you the tools to do so, which makes me happy. Thanks for not being uh, like that. And another reason for that is um, I've I've had some people say this to me, not too many, but they've said, I can't believe I have to do this for the rest of my life. And that makes me scratch my head because Mm -hmm. you're, you know, we we're very clear and concise on how we say like, we are not the end all be all like this is just two weeks of the beginning of everything because your life, if you truly believe in plasticity and the brain's ability to adapt, everything you do in your life, all the intention you do things with will shape your brain one way or another. What we do is lay the foundation and give you the tools so that at one point you can go away and say, hey, like you but don't necessarily need you 100% of the time mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that's what gives people independence and so that's what I like about what we do is my goal is to kind of get you in but also hopefully not have you back right so yeah I think uh I think that's a special thing that you guys offer there that not a lot of other places do um and I'm grateful for that. And I'm, I'm really grateful for the time you've given to explain all of this. And I'm going to have you on again, because I think I want to co- go over a few topics a little more in depth with you that will be helpful for a lot of the listeners. And I think it'll be digestible. So I'm excited. But for now, what's next and where can everyone find you and keep up with you? Because I know you do a lot of really great stuff on social media for education and it's fun and it's, I pay attention to it, but you, you do a lot of great posts that I think resonate with people. Um, And I know every time I comment on one or I post one, I have somebody comment and be like, oh, I, I have like people reach out about it. So where can they find you? Um, well, I do have a Instagram. It's called the Brainfluencer because yes. I influence brains. Um, and so I thought that was funny. It is and funny. the web, yeah, the website is res- resiliencybh.com. So that's the clinic. And then social is the Brainfluencer on Instagram. Uh, I have someone right now trying to get me on TikTok, and I'm like, I don't know if I can do the takes on. Yes, you that I can. Made. You do reels, you can do TikToks. We'll see. We'll Listen, see. But <laughs> I have to do them. You have to do them. I'm knife handing gotcha. you right now. Gotcha. 
do it. And that, and yeah, the, the next things for us is just continue seeing people and hopefully continue getting good people along the way and expanding and trying to do the best we can with what we have. Well, I can only see it getting bigger and better. And when supporting you guys, that means you support Defenders of Freedom. So everyone should definitely go do that and check them out. Um, But thank you. Thank you for your brain, your smarts, your effort, the empathy and the love that you show to every single patient you see and to the people around you because you're such a positive light and you're such a great person to get to spend time with. And um, for those that are wondering how you get into these programs to be with amazing people like this, go check out Defenders of Freedom. You can apply there. You can also donate there and then you'll get to spend time and heal and get to be around amazing doctors like Miss Michelle here. So I will make sure to put everything in the bio and everyone can go follow you and give you some love and support. Otherwise you stick with me. We'll see y'all next week.